listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. I want you to turn with me if you have your Bible. Uh, We're going to open up to a couple of the different places, but one of the places that we're going to open up is uh, Genesis chapter 15. And I wanted to show you this um, because I don't think that I don't think people recognize this ahead of time, but I want to uh, I want to make this statement and think about this. If you're going to have never-ending victory, just a total increase, victory, he takes us from faith unto faith, victory unto victory, uh, you know, favor unto favor, grace unto grace. If we're believing for never-ending increase, as I said, and if you ca- caught this morning's broadcast, if you didn't go back and, and re-watch it, but... I taught this morning that the favor of God, the blessing of God, and victory are never, ever accidental or random. They're always planned. It's something that God has set in place, something we can take hold of in a purposeful way. And so victory is purposeful, and it's the same. So I wanted to take this week and give you six things. Tonight through Saturday night at 9 o'clock, we'll break Sunday. I'll come back again Monday. But I want to take this week specifically and give you six things that will show you how to walk in never-ending victory in your your own personal life. And uh, this is a great place to start. And I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. I want to start by showing you what uh, God said to Abraham. And maybe I'm going to show you something. Maybe you've never seen this before. I had never seen it before. But this is actually pretty mind-blowing. I want want you to see this. of course, if you if you read the Bible, you know Genesis 15 is the chapter where God makes a covenant with Abraham. And at the time, obviously, he's Abram, and then he has covenant made with him with God. But I want you to look at this because God starts telling him to do something specific, and I want you to see what it is because it's our foundational principle for tonight. Look at this. Genesis chapter 15, the Bible says, um, let's go with verse uh, 2. But Abraham, Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Look at this. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. And watch, this is so amazing. Verse 5. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out from the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, oh Lord, how, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And then he begins to make covenant with him. But catch this. If you've never seen this before, jump all the way down after God's doing all this stuff, cutting covenant, go to verse 17. This is, this to me is supernatural. Verse 17, the Bible says this. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, did you just see that? 
I want to see if you caught this connection because this right here is supernatural and it's mind-blowing. The Bible says, and when the sun had gone down and it was dark. If you go back to where we started, what did God say to him at first? He said, come outside and look up towards heaven and number the stars if you can. Oh, man. Do you just see what happened? God brought Abram outside in the broad daylight and told him to look up into the heavens and number the stars. Do you realize what he was doing? He didn't tell him to do it at night. Night didn't happen until verse 17. We're way back up here in verses four and five. It was all broad daylight when God brought Abram outside and said, look up into the heavens. And he said, number the stars if you can. And that's how plentiful your offspring will be. Notice this. And this is the key. God told Abram to count the stars when he couldn't even see the stars. And this right here will get you, this will get you excited, man. He told Abram to count the stars when he was not even able to see the stars. You can't see the stars until it's night. And so what does he have? He's got Abram looking up into a blue sky while the sun is out, while no stars are visible. You know what that means? That means Abram had to look up and by faith just know the stars were there when he couldn't see stars. He had to be able to look into the sky that was probably blue at the time because it was day. Had to look up into the sky when it was blue and God said, count the stars if you can. And that's how plentiful your offspring will be. Well, there were no stars to look at when God told him to look, which means he had to have faith that the stars were there. Sometimes you've got to be able to look into the future at something you can't see right now and begin to count it and call it what it is before it manifests in your life. And that's why on this first night of keys to never-ending victory, I want to talk to you about being able to see the end from the beginning. If you're writing in the comments, that's the subject of tonight's broadcast, how to see the end from the beginning. One of the keys of successful men and women of God who walk in never-ending victory is that they can, by faith, see the end from the beginning. You know, isn't it interesting that the Bible says that when God said it to Abram, he believed and it was counted unto him as righteousness. He didn't have to wait until he had actual sons to believe the word of God. The Bible says he believed it when God said it and he could see it in his spirit. He could see what was going to take place and believed what God said. And li listen, you know that he truly did because the Bible says that God judges what's on the heart. So the, re the only one that could have given him righteousness in his account was God. And God paid that righteousness into his account when he saw the faith or the belief in his heart, which means Abram looked up into the sky, probably a blue sky, no stars visible in the day, and said, I can see it and I believe it. My descendants will be more plentiful than the stars that are in the heavens. And so Abram was able to see the end from the beginning. 
That is a sign of faith. What was it that he was able to see? He was able by faith to see the promises of God before they took place. Before they took place. And do you realize, this is so amazing and so powerful, that his name was no longer going to be Abram, but his name was going to be Abraham, for he would be a father of many nations. Let me read it to you in in, in Genesis 17, just two chapters later. Listen to this. Verse 4, Genesis 17, 4, and the Bible says, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Verse 5, No longer shall your name be called Abram, which means exalted father, but it shall be called Abraham, which means father of a multitude. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Now look at this. God called Abraham something by his power in the spirit that he was not yet in the natural. He called him a father. Think about this. He called him the father of many nations before he was the father of one son. Think about that. He called him father of many nations before he was father of one son. So for Abram to take the name change and recognize himself and introduce himself and call himself Abraham, it's him saying, I agree and I align my confession with the promise of God that I'm no longer Abram, exalted father. I am Abraham, father of many multitudes. Just by going along with the name change God gave him, He was saying, I believe that what God said is coming to pass. And you've got to make up in your mind, and so do I, that if we have promises that have been given to us by God, that we will see those things in the spirit ahead of time and declare, I will align myself. I will align my mouth. I will align my belief with what God said and not with what I see. I mean, how easy would it have been for Abraham to say, well, you know, you can call me father of of many nations if you want to, but really I've not even had a son yet. So I'm not worthy of that. You know, there's, that's how the devil talks. He talks like that to people. You know what he says? Well, you go around saying that you're righteous and that God's forgiven you, but look at all the things you've done in your life and look at all the problems you've had and look at all the things you've gone through and look at all the failures and look at your path. And the devil's a master at doing that. Don't call yourself what God called you. Call yourself what you've already done. Man, I'm getting ready to preach on this because see, faith is able to see the end from the beginning. It sees the end. So it doesn't matter what's in the past. What's in the past doesn't govern the future. Think about this. And I want you to write it every person in the comments that's watching. What's in my past does not govern my future. And I'm talking about your past before you were in Christ. Because that's what the devil will point to. Well, you really going to go around calling yourself righteous? You going to really go around calling yourself holy? You're going to go around calling yourself child of God, son of God, heir of God. Look at the issues you've had in your life. And the devil's a master at doing that, at trying to pull back into your remembrance what God forgot about when you got saved. He's a master at it. 
But what's in your past does not govern your future. What's in your promise, what's in your covenant governs your future. That's it. What's in your promise, what's in your covenant governs your future. And that's an, that's an exciting thing because if you start to realize that what's in your covenant determines your future, then that means all things are possible. Thank you, Jesus. All things are possible to them that believe. All things are possible to them that believe. I want to show you another thing in, in the same vein of thought here. Let me, let me just put this up because I want to give you the exact, the exact reference. Genesis 48. Now, the, the enemy is a master at pointing to your past and telling you you're unworthy of the blessings of God because of what's going on in your past. But see, if you've got the eyes that can see in the spirit realm, then you should never, ever look at the past and say, well, I'm just unworthy of God's blessings. I'm just unworthy of victory. I'm just unworthy of the breakthrough. I'm unworthy of the increase. Because the devil will try to get you to say that and talk like that. And to take your words out of alignment with God's word. You've got to say what God said. You've got to see what God's got planned from the beginning. Before it has even manifested, you've got to plan for it and say, it's already done. Already done. And so I want you to see this because if you've ever studied the life of Jacob... You know, when you go through his whole life, he ha he came from a family that didn't always quite say things in the most truthful way. Even Abram, you know, Abraham, when it was when it came to, down to it, he was afraid truly of what the king would do to him. So, and the king liked his wife, and he said, "Well, you know, really, she's not my wife; she's my sister." Why? He thought the king would kill him for his wife, and so he said, "Well, well, she's my sister; she's not my wife." Then you come down and you understand that Jacob, Jacob came out and notice what his mother named him, Jacob, which means supplanter or deceiver. So she labeled Jacob deceiver before he'd ever done anything. She labeled him deceiver. And he grew up with this identity of supplanter or deceiver. What did he do? He deceived his own father out of the blessing that was supposed to be his brother. What did he do? Put the, put the hairy garment on, on his arms. Went in smelling like his brother. Got the birthright from his father. Tricked his father. He was literally operating in what he had been called in the natural realm. Deceiver and supplanter. But God was going to change his name and change his whole identity so that he'd be able to see the end from the beginning. And once God does that, once your identity changes, you cannot allow the old you to govern what's getting ready to take place in the future. I want you to see this with me. Genesis 48, the Bible says, I love this, because here, here's where the transition takes place. The old you, the new you. Paul said, the apostle Paul, he said, there's a war going on inside of our bodies. He said, there's two forces that are fighting each other, the carnal side and the spiritual side. If you read Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17, he said the flesh is always at war with the spirit. The flesh is always at war with the spirit. This is what happens. This is where you've got to fight and know that you see what God said because your flesh will fight it. Your flesh will say fleshly things. 
That's why you have to subdue your flesh and tell it to shut up. Because your, your flesh will make stupid confessions like, well, brother, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. The Bible doesn't teach that anywhere. There's nowhere in the New Testament that we are sinners saved by grace. We are saved by grace, but we're new creatures in Christ Jesus. And so there's this battle going on that you've got to learn to subdue the flesh. The old man must die and the new man must be in control. And even before Jesus came, even in an Old Testament, this is pre the law of Moses. Listen to this. The Bible says, after this, Joseph was told, behold, your father is ill. This is the first verse of Genesis 48. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, notice this, Jacob, Jacob. It was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. And look at this, it flips in one verse. It flips in one verse. It says, it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned up his strength. Or one translation said, Israel strengthened himself and sat up in bed. See, when it's time for you to do what God's called you to do, you cannot let your old man sit up and try to take control. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, I put my body under on a daily basis so that after having preached to others, I might not become a castaway or a, 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 a reprobate, one translation says, disqualified, another translation said. And so notice this, Jacob, the deceiver, the supplanter is laying in his bed at an old age, but when his covenant duty steps in front of him, he's ready to bless his grandchildren. The Bible says Jacob got the message, but Israel sat up and strengthened himself. Hallelujah. It was the name change. It was the name change. It was God said after he wrestled with God, you remember he was by the river sent all of his family across, all of his possessions across. And then he wrestled with God through the night until God touched his hip and put it out of joint and said, I'm changing your name this day. You'll no longer be Jacob, but from this day forward, you'll be Israel for you have wrestled with God and prevailed. And so understand this, that you, you, you've got to disregard or put into a, a prison, the old man, the carnal nature, and you step up in the new man. I love that in one verse, it goes from saying Jacob got the message, but then Israel strengthened himself. It wasn't the deceiver that sat up in bed. It was Israel that sat up in bed. That's Holy, that's holy Ghost preaching, man. Because you start to realize it is that when you get to a crossroads, the devil would like the wrong side of you to sit up. He would like the wrong part of you to sit up. He would love the carnal nature to sit up, but no, you've got an anointed part of you filled with the Holy Ghost and your flesh has to take a back seat and that carnal nature that the enemy would try to use to pull you back into an old way of living has to take a back seat because now you're no longer a slave to sin, but you can see the end of the promise from the beginning and we know the only way to get there is by operating in the spirit realm and by the spirit's power. Jacob got the message, but Israel sat up and strengthened himself. And so I want to encourage you is that there is always, and Paul said this, think about it. As an anointed apostle, he said, even in his writing, 
that there's a war going on in my members. I want to do what pleases the Lord, but my flesh won't let me. It doesn't want me to. And if that was true for Paul, how much more do you think it's true for every believer in the body of Christ today? That there are people who internally, they want to please the Lord, but their flesh tries to rise up against them. I mean, think about it. So just uh, literally think about just how, uh, how amazing it is that, you know, even in the small things, I mean, think about the very small things, reading your Bible on a daily basis. Your flesh doesn't want to do that. Praying on a daily basis. Your flesh doesn't want to do that. And so think about even for the small things in the covenant, study, prayer, fellowship with God, whatever it might be, your flesh rejects that. I mean, think how easy it is for your flesh to rise up and do things that entertain it or feed it. And your flesh will do that for hours and never yell at you. You ever notice that? You ever notice you can sit down on the couch and find a good Netflix show and, and sit there and, and watch like five episodes of it and your flesh will never yell at you and, and say, you should be doing something else right now and you should be reading your Bible. Your flesh will never do that. Your flesh loves what pleases it. But your spirit man will cry out. But notice that when it's time to rise up and do spiritual things, your flesh immediately tries to hammer back and say, well, no, not right now. I don't feel like doing that. Maybe we'll do it later. And there's a war. That's what Paul was talking about. There's a war that tries to go on on the inside of you and people who go from victory to victory to victory. I'm talking never-ending victory. These are people who are able to sit up as Israel and say, I'm going to do what God anointed me to do and called me to do rather than what my flesh feels like doing. I will not allow. In fact, I want you to write this in the comments section. My flesh is not qualified to govern my future. I've been having you write that for the last couple of months and it still rings true today. Put it in the comments. My flesh is not qualified to run my future or determine my future. My flesh is not qualified to determine my future. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Your flesh will try to destroy your future. It'll bring you into a, a, a fleshly, it'll bring you into a carnal future. Hey, Anita. And so you, you need to learn. It's It's got to be Israel that sits up, not Jacob, not Jacob. Israel will sit up. And so the key is we've got to be able to see the end from the beginning. I got to see the end from the beginning. And when I can see the end from the beginning, it allows me to make decisions. This is so vital. It allows me to make decisions based upon what God said versus what I see. What God said versus what I see. And so my flesh is not qualified to, to determine my future, but the promises of God are qualified to determine my future. And my faith is not based in the natural, it's based in the supernatural. It's based on the word of the almighty God. And so it's very important what you can see. Now, I do want to show you something that, that really stirs my faith up. 2 Kings chapter 4, I'm going to show you another side of this now. 2 Kings chapter 4, 
How do you respond? How do you respond in a time where you feel like the devil's attacking you? Because there's a time right now where people feel like the devil's attacking. And there's people right now still that are panicked, people that are afraid. You know, my, my, my wife just got everything but had the cops called on her at Walmart the other day because her mask wasn't all the way on her face in the Walmart aisle. Literally, people freaking out. I'll call the cops right now. It's not even a law. It's a suggestion. You, you know what I'm saying? So she's up there buying groceries and somebody in the aisle freaking out because her mask wasn't all the way on. Of course, here you they, they won't let you in the store unless you have a mask on. But it's not because it's a law. It's because it's a, it's suggested. <laughs> and so people freaking out. In the, why? People are full of fear. They're panicked. They're panicked. Really panicked. And there's people out there that, that are walking through this. And there's believers out there that are going through this. And they've allowed themselves to become panicked and fearful and act in fear. But there's got to be, there's got to be a reaction that you have of faith. Faith reacts when it, whenever fear is prevalent. Faith reacts when fear is prevalent. So faith steps forward and take, remember this, faith is not a feeling. Faith is not an opinion. Faith is not what you think. Faith is what you do based upon what you believe. Remember that forever. Faith is not what you think. It's not what you say. It's not what you feel. Faith is what you do based upon what you believe. That's what James taught. James taught faith without works is dead being alone. And so faith does something that fear won't do. Your faith is the action you take when everything doesn't look like it should look. So when there's an attack against you, when something's coming against your family. And so I want you to see it, 2 Kings chapter 4, it couldn't be any more plain than this story. Here's the woman that Elisha prophesied to her that she would have a son. She'd never had children. And um, the Bible says, there came the time after the, the prophet had prophesied to her that she did have a son. But then start with me in verse 18 of 2 Kings 4. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers. And he said to his father, oh, my head, my head. And the father said to the servant, carry him to his mother. And when he'd lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap until noon and then he died. Verse 21. And she went up and laid him, I love this, on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. So notice, this is the woman that had built an apartment for the prophet on top of her house. Notice that she went up to the place. This is a whole nother message, but this is the where she went up to the place where she had provided a seed for the man of God. And she laid her son inside her seed. This, this is a message that'll preach all by itself and shut the door. She closed him in to her seed and went. And look at this. The Bible says in verse 22, then she called to her husband and said, send me one of the servants, one of the donkeys, that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. Her, her, apparently, 
Her husband was a religious dude. He he was one of those uh, only Christmas and Easter guys because he responded uh, to her. Why are you going to see? What are you going to see the man of God for? It's neither new moon nor Sabbath. <laughs> it's neither Christmas nor Easter. And she said, all is well. You know what she could have said to her husband? She could have said, the kid's dead. Why do you think? Why do you think? Why do you think I'm going to see him? We need a miracle. We need one right now. He's dead. He's up on the bed. I just took him up. Had sunstroke. Grabbed his head. He's gone. She didn't say any of that. You know, she said to her husband, it is well. It is well. It is well. You know, that was a hymn that we used to sing when I was growing up. When peace like a river attendeth my way. Y'all remember that song? Sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot taught me to say, it is well. That was, it, that was the name of the song, It Is Well. It was based on this verse of scripture. It is well with my soul. We used to sing it all the time. And that was taken from this woman's words. And she, she could have said anything. She could have freaked out. She could have yelled at her husband. If you were more attentive of a husband, you'd have already known. If you were with me and if you were sensitive like other women's husbands that I know, you'd have been with me. You'd have known. He's already dead. No, she didn't freak out. All she said, it is well. Or in the ESV, all is well. All is well. Hallelujah. All is well. And then she goes out looking for the man of God. The Bible says in verse 25, and when the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, look, there's the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, all is well. Why did she answer all is well? Because she had a goal. She could see the end from the beginning. You see that? She could have said anything. What do you mean? Is everything all right? The, the boy that you prophesied that I'd have, he's dead. No. She said, all is well. Thank you, Aristotle, for sowing a seed. All is well. And she fetched to bring him back. Now, look at this. She had faith knowing that her son would be raised from the dead. She could have done anything, everything else. She could have sat on Facebook all night and wrote posts, vaguely worded Facebook posts against her fellow uh, church-going members that didn't, well, they just didn't have enough faith to believe with me. She could have got angry. She could have got angry at the man of God. But she went to get him and bring him back. The Bible says she wouldn't be satisfied unless she brought him back. And notice this. Finally, verse 32, and Elisha came into the house and saw the child lying dead on the bed, went and shut the door behind the two of them, prayed to the Lord, went up and laid on the child, putting his mouth to his mouth, eyes to his eyes, hands to his hands, and stretched himself upon him. And the flesh of the child became warm. And he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house, went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes, kept, kept this going on and on, knowing yeah, it's not that she was denying the child was dead. Absolutely not. She could see the end from the beginning. 
She had the ability to see. She knew what was going to take place. And what she allowed to come out of her mouth was what she knew what happened. People that walk in never-ending victory are people that have the ability to see in the supernatural realm what others cannot see. While others are looking in the natural, faith is looking in the supernatural. I got to say that again because, and you can write it in the comments if you'd like. What When others are looking in the natural, faith is looking in the supernatural. While others are looking in the natural, faith is looking in the supernatural. What do you think? I'll give you an example. When David showed up to fight Goliath, notice this. Everybody else saw a bully. David saw a bullseye. Think of it that way. Everybody else saw a bully. David saw a bullseye because they were looking in the natural. David was looking in the supernatural. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. Everyone else saw a bully. David saw a bullseye. When they came up on the, <laughs> hey, Jocelyn, when they came up on the walls of Jericho, for example, another, another perfect example, everybody else saw an obstacle, but they saw an opportunity. It's difference. It's a difference of what you can see. It's an absolute difference of what you can see. In the natural, they looked at an obstacle. In the supernatural, they looked at an opportunity. It's the difference between bully and bullseye. It's the difference between obstacle and opportunity. Faith sees what the natural man cannot see. That's why your eyes have to be open to the promises of God, and you've got to be able to see in the spirit if you're going to walk from victory to victory to victory. I refuse to walk in defeat. I refuse to be destroyed. I refuse to quit believing the promises of God. I refuse. I literally refuse to fail. I refuse it. It will not, it cannot happen. It cannot happen. I refuse to fail. I refuse to be defeated. I refuse to be destroyed. I refuse to be harassed by a spirit of this world that's already been defeated by the blood of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. I refuse it. I absolutely refuse it by faith. I, I were, you have to get this, just like the woman in 2 Kings 4 that we just read. She refused to look at her dead son and say he's dead forever. I refuse. I refuse. I will not be defeated. I will not be defeated in Jesus' name. I just refuse to be defeated. I, some look at it and call it a bully. We call it a bullseye. Some call it an obstacle. We call it an opportunity. I refuse to be defeated. I won't. You won't. You won't. We're coming through this with power and glory. We're coming through with testimonies on the other side. We're coming through better than ever before. We're coming through more blessed than ever before. God's going to open doors for us. We're going to see the greatest year. It's no, trust me, it's no surprise to me that when we started confessing, all of us, back in the fall of last year, that 2020 was going to be a year of violent increase and expedited favor. You don't think that the enemy would try to kick back at what God's going to do for his people? Of course he would try. But remember this, the devil is a liar. The devil's a liar. He has, remember this is a very important fact, he has no authority over the covenant that you have with the almighty God. No authority whatsoever. He's not a part of the covenant. He's not the origin. Man, I, I, I could preach this, man, because if you read what the Bible says about Jesus, it says he's the author and the finisher. 
If you're on, stay on. Just get, listen, stay on for this because this right here, you need to grab hold of this and keep it through the rest of the year. The Bible says that Jesus is the author and the finisher of your faith. That's important because there's a lot of people right now that the devil is telling them they're finished, that he's going to finish them, that he's going to destroy them. Let me give you a word that's going to stir your faith up. Listen to this. The devil cannot be your finisher or the finisher of your faith because he's not the origin of your faith. He didn't, oh man, and I've been saying this in his face. Anytime anything tries to come against me, let me tell you what I've been saying. Devil, you can't stop me because you didn't start me. And I want you to put that in the comments if you're watching Periscope, YouTube, Facebook. The devil can't stop me because he didn't start me. Hallelujah. The devil can't stop me because he didn't start me. Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher of my faith. Only Christ can be my finisher because he was my author. The devil doesn't have the pen, nor does he have the eraser to stop what God has already started. He can't stop me because he didn't start me. Jesus started you. Jesus started me. He's the author of our faith. Do you know we came out of him, the Bible says, that he's our origin. I love that first, first John chapter four says it. It says, you are from God, little children. First John chapter four and verse four, you are from God, little children, and greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. So if you came from God, if you're of God, then, then he's your origin. And if he's your origin story, then guess what? He's the only one that can be your end story. He's the only one that can be your end story. The devil doesn't have the resources to stop you. He doesn't have the power to stop you. He, the Bible doesn't say he is a roaring lion. First Peter chapter five says he goes about like a roaring lion wishes he was one. Do you know why the devil, let me just encourage you with this thought. Do you know why the devil goes about like a roaring lion? First Peter chapter five, because he wants to be everything Jesus already is. He wishes he could be. He said that at the beginning, I will be like the most high God. I will sit on the throne. I will ascend into the heaven. God said, you won't. And God hit him so hard. I mean, I want you to think about this. God smacked the devil so hard that Jesus looked back through the tunnel of time in prophecy and said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Think about that. God smacked him so hard and ejected him from heaven so hard that he fell out of heaven like a lightning bolt. That's how bad God rebuked that rebellious spirit that the devil had. And remember this, the reason the devil's always a counterfeit. He's the anti-Christ. So he goes about as a roaring lion because Christ is the lion. Hallelujah. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the devil's not a lion. Notice it doesn't say that he goes about just devouring whoever he wants to. It says he goes about seeking whom he may devour. So that means that some people are devourable and other people are not. 
It's the only thing it could mean. I like that. Marissa said, God pimp slapped him out of heaven, hit him so hard. I mean, probably broke some teeth. (laughs) But you think about it. The Bible says Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so think about it as you go further. The devil goes about seeking whom he may devour. That means that there are some who are devourable and there are some who are not. And remember this, God doesn't choose who's devourable and who's not. We choose it by our obedience to Christ. Those that are faithful to God, we are not able to be devoured in Jesus' name. I can't, I cannot be devoured. How could I be devoured by something that I'm greater than? Think of it that way. How could I ever be devoured by something that I am far greater than? That's why I quoted that scripture to you from 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4. You are from God, little children, and greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. So what what that's saying is that no matter what antichrist spirit is in the world, no matter what anti-God thing is in operation, it is not greater than what's on the inside of you. The, the, the anointing or the, the, the spirit of God that's in you, this is how powerful it is. The Bible says in Romans 8, 11, the very same spirit that raised Jesus Christ up from the dead is living in your body right now. And it's literally uh, quickening is the word in the King James, but I like to use the word making alive. That's what other translations say. And he's making alive your physical body by that same spirit. So remember this, because it's, it's very powerful. There's no way that the devil has the resources to take you out or to destroy you. I say that to build your faith tonight and to say, don't be afraid. Don't allow yourself to become afraid. Don't allow yourself to be anxious. Don't allow yourself to become depressed. I'm going to take this whole week and teach you and show you how you can walk in never-ending victory. It is possible to do. Jesus did it, and he was our example. He was our example. Notice that the Bible tells us that he was the exact representation of the nature of God, Hebrews 1.3. Jesus was the exact representation. Do you realize that he was all God and all man at the same time? That blows people's minds. He was all God, but all man at the same time, tempted in all points, just like we are, but he passed every test to prove that it could be done. You know, it it wouldn't have been a true temptation of Jesus when the devil tempted him if he wasn't really tempted. That's not a temptation. If you're not tempted, it's not a temptation. So when people try to act like he was only God, but not really man, They're forgetting the fact that if he was not truly man, then he would have not been able to die on the cross for our sins. And this is an important point I'm making to you here because recognize this, if Jesus went from victory unto victory unto victory unto victory, and he's our example, and we are now a part of his body, then it's proof that we can go and not only do what he did, but We can represent his nature on the earth. That's what John 14, 12 is all about. 
He said, the works that I do, you shall do also, and greater works than these, because I'm going to be with my Father in heaven. He was teaching in context, I will send you the Holy Spirit, and he'll be your comforter, he'll be your guide, he'll be your empowerment, and then you'll be able to do just what I did. Everybody thinks that that just means work the works that he worked. As far as uh, when it says works, it always they always think it just means healing the sick and casting out devils, and it does mean that. But it means all the works that he did. It, I mean, find me a passage of scripture in the New Testament where Jesus was sick. Find me one. Find me one. You won't find any. Because Jesus was not sick, he had dominion over sickness and disease. He didn't get sick, he healed the sick. He wasn't harassed by devils, he harassed devils. Let me stop there for a second. Jesus... Jesus was not harassed by demons. He harassed demons. Let me give you an example. You know, because there were other people that were harassed by demons. <laughs> I mean, just read Acts 19. When those seven uh, sons of a priest named Sceva came walking down the road thinking that they were going to cast the demon out of this dude, and this guy's sitting there, and they, you know, they come up to him, I'm sure all prim and proper, come out of him in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. And you're in bad shape when a demon-possessed dude looks you up and down. Like, who do you think you're talking to? And the Bible says, he said something back to them. He said, now Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And then he leapt upon them and beat them, the Bible says. The demon-possessed man beat these seven men, stripped their clothes off, and they ran back down the road naked and bruised. Now, that demon or if that man was filled with multiple demons, they harassed those men. Those demons harassed those seven men. But that was not the case with Jesus. Jesus was not harassed by demons. He harassed demons. Go with me to Mark chapter 5. I want you to see this. Jesus was not harassed by demons. He harassed demons. The Bible says, I'll, I'll read starting in verse 1, Mark 5, 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met, out of the, met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been bound with shackles and change, chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. No one. Verse 5, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Some people say that the reason that he was cutting himself with stones was because in those days, one of the belief systems was that you could, and you could see it even with the um, other places throughout scripture and in history, is that they believed that if you could make incisions on your body, you could release the demon spirits that were in your body through the cuts. And I'm sure the man wanted to be free of those demons. And so he was cutting his body, trying to release those demon spirits. And the Bible says he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Verse six. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me? Jesus, son of the most high God, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. That's powerful, man. Because here's one demon-possessed dude in, in Acts 19 
who sees a group of guys that are pretending to be powerful and beats the crap out of them. I mean, beats the crap out of them. And they run away naked and bruised, harassed by a demon spirit. And then here's a man filled with what the Bible says is a legion of demons. Historians tell us that could be anywhere between four and 6,000. It's in reference to a Roman legion of soldiers, which was a battalion of four to 6,000 men. That's what the demon was referencing. So who knows how many thousands of demons were in one man's spirit. And the Bible says they all ran and bowed down low before Jesus and begged him. What was the thing that they said? Do not, do not torment me. Think about this. Jesus, just Jesus showing up, tormented demon spirits. Hallelujah. Why? Because greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. Greater is he that's in us. You are anointed to harass the devil. And if you've never heard it till tonight, let this be the first night you hear it and let it be your war cry for the rest of your life. I'm anointed to harass the devil. And I want you to put it in the comments right now. I'm anointed to harass the devil. I'll give you other scripture for it. First John chapter three. We know it because it was Jesus' own purpose. First John 3, 8, listen to this. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He came like a wrecking ball, not like Miley Cyrus, like an actual wrecking ball, to destroy the works of the devil. I'm anointed. That's right. Put it in the comments. I'm anointed to harass the devil. People give so much. I mean, it starts to make me mad. People give so much, you know, authority and power to demon spirits. Well, I think there's a demon. I think there's a demon in my house. I think there's a demon in our... People act like demons are so powerful. They act like the devil is so powerful. Who do they, Who does the devil think he is? That's what I ask. Who do you think you're talking to? I'm anointed to harass the devil. I remember hearing the story of uh, Smith Wigglesworth. I'm sure that you've heard his name before. British evangelist from Bradford, Bradford England. And... Uh, Touched the world with his ministry. Powerful man of God. Raised 14 people from the dead. Powerful man. And one night in his home, he was upstairs um, sleeping. Heard noises downstairs. And he went down. This was his own testimony. Went downstairs and in his living room, the devil, the actual devil, Satan, was waiting there for Brother Wigglesworth when he came down the stairs. He walked into the living room and saw Satan standing in his living room and looked at him. He said, oh, it's just you. And turned around and went back upstairs to his bedroom and went back to sleep. (laughs) He didn't start praying in speed tongues. He didn't call 16 prayer partners on the phone. He didn't have to get on. Nope. He didn't have to turn around, you know, start rebuking every night. He didn't have to turn on... (laughs) Praising worship music and rocking his rocking chair for the next three hours. No, he looked at him and said, oh, it's just you. 
and went back upstairs and went to bed. Why? Because I, I, I don't, we don't fear the devil. We're not afraid of the devil, nor are we afraid of demon spirits. You can't steal my peace. You can't steal my rest. You can't steal my sleep. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It's like, uh, it's like Dr. Lester Sumrall when he was uh, operating for the Lord and he was in a, a room one night and, and demon power came into the room. He tells the story. Demon, uh, he could feel a demon spirit come in. And he said there was no, the window was not open, but a wind came through the room and the curtains began to blow in the hotel room. Just began to blow and stand out on end. And his bed started shaking against the floor, rattling. And rattled all the way off the wall out into the middle of the room. He said, devil, get out of here in Jesus' name. And the bed stopped shaking and the curtains fell back down. And that presence left the room. Then he looked around and noticed that the bed shook about seven to eight inches off the wall. And he said, without, without missing a beat, he said, devil, get back in here. And he said, when he said that, the curtains started blowing again and the bed started shaking again. He said, put this bed back against the wall. He said, he said the bed started shaking, went, went back up to where it was on the wall. He said, now get out of here in Jesus' name. And that thing left the room. Who does the devil think he is? Who does the devil think he is? Remember, we're called to walk in never-ending victory. That's right. I mean, literally, if you've felt that you've been, there's been an attack against you. The enemy has tried to steal from you things that have been happening that should not have been taken place. Put it in the comments and say it where you're at in Jesus' name. Put it back in Jesus' name. Put it back in the mighty name of Jesus. Who does the devil think he's talking to? Who do you think you are? That's what you, that's you, you got to get that kind of boldness on the inside of you. Who do you think you're talking to? I'm a child of the most high God. I am a son of the most high God. I carry in my body the mighty power of the Holy Ghost. I'm anointed to harass the devil. I'm anointed to harass the devil in Jesus' name. Amen, Jocelyn. Cast it and out. Put it back in Jesus' name. Do not let the devil try to back you into a corner. He doesn't have power. He only works off of deception. That's it. That is all. And you declare it by faith. Put it back in Jesus' name. You know that the Bible says that when the thief is found, Proverbs 6.31, he must pay back seven times what he stole. Seven times. And so I want you to hear this. You're not just going to get a payback. It's coming back multiplied in Jesus name. According to scripture, when the thief is found, if the devil is trying to steal from you, he's not just going to put it back. It has to come back multiplied in Jesus name. No matter what it is, we serve a God that can reverse the curse and already has by the power of his spirit and the blood of Jesus that's been shed on the cross of Calvary for you and for me. Put it back in Jesus name. Put it back in Jesus' name. And so there is an anointing to go from victory unto victory unto victory. You don't go from victory to defeat and back to victory again, but victory unto victory unto victory. That's your story. 
That's going to be your story. Let me show you this finally before we pray for you. I want to give you two pictures of two different dudes that had the same experience but came out in a different way at the end of the story. Two different people. First, I want to start with uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. Let's go to the 6th chapter. We were already in 4. Let's go to 6. And this is a story. Now, both of these guys that I'm going to show you in Scripture, both of them were servants to the prophets. Both of them servants to the prophets. The one we're starting with, 2 Kings chapter 6, is Gehazi, who was Elisha's servant. Not Elijah's. Elisha was Elijah's servant, but Gehazi was Elisha's. But notice this. There was a king who was ready to kill Elisha because he kept hearing his plans. Every time the king would make plans against Israel, the Lord would let Elisha hear it and he'd warn Israel and the king could never win. So he said, well, we've got to take out the prophet then. If we assassinate him, that's the key. Then we can make our plans and destroy Israel. So what did they do? They found where he was staying. And the Bible says that they came and surrounded the place where he was staying, surrounded the city in Dothan. And listen to this. <clears throat> this is 2 Kings 6, verse 15. And when the servant of the man of God arose early in the next morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? He starts freaking out, starts freaking out. But notice the prophet Elisha was not freaked out. Why? Go further. He said, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I love this. Then Elisha just prayed and said, oh Lord, please open up his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So do you see this? In this story, Gehazi, the servant of the prophet Elisha, could not see in the spirit realm what Elisha was already seeing. I want you to catch that because this is so vitally important for your life. He could not see what Elisha could see. Elisha had to pray a prayer and say, Lord, would you open up his eyes like mine are open so that he can see that there's more with us than there are against us? And after the prayer was prayed, then Gehazi could see the angelic army that surrounded their enemies, but not before which is because he was not as developed as Elisha was back when he was a servant for Elijah. Now let's go back there and look. If we go to 2 Kings chapter 2, this is where we see that Elisha was actually farther down the road than Gehazi was, at, even as a servant of the prophet. Now this is when Elijah was still alive, but getting ready to be taken up in a chariot of fire. And the Bible says that even though Elijah tried to test Elisha multiple times to see if he was loyal to his vision and his calling and his purpose, Elisha never left him, stayed by his side again and again 
and again, three times in a row, Elijah tried to ditch him, and Elisha said, no, I'll never leave you. I'll never leave your side. And so the Bible says that in the final moments, Elijah struck the Jordan River with his cloak, and it parted, and they walked across on dry ground. But notice this. After they'd done that, the Bible says, when they had crossed, now this is verse 9 of chapter 2, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you've asked a hard thing, yet if you see me, now this is going to stir you up, if you see me as I'm being taken from you, then it shall be so for you. But if you don't, it shall not be so. Now, we know what happened. They went forward and they saw there was a char chariots and horses of fire that carried Elijah up into heaven. But remember this, it was not so much, and I put some of this in the book further faster. If you get it, you'll read it more in depth. But think about this. It wasn't so much that Elijah was saying, you know, if you'll stick with me till the end, he was already at the end. Remember this. It's not that he was just saying, well, if you'll be faithful to travel with me until I leave the earth. No, it, he wasn't saying that because they had already come to three crossroads and every single time Elijah tried to ditch Elisha as a test and Elijah stayed with him. They'd already crossed the Jordan River, come to the other side, and now, understand this, they were at the end. So it had to be more than just him saying, well, if you stick with me till the end, he was already at the end. Notice what he said. If you see me as I go, or if you see me as I'm taken from you, it was more than just stick with me till the end. He was actually giving him a test. The test was this. Well, you want a double portion of my anointing. You want to assume the role that I'm standing in now and become my successor. But here will be the true test, and, and this will be uh, the thing that will set you apart from all the rest of the sons of the prophets. If you can see me when I go. The reason that that's important is the reason I read you 2 Kings 6 first. Gehazi looked out into the mountains and could not see. You know, it was the same thing. He looks out and there were chariots and angels of fire. He looked out, but he couldn't see them. Gehazi would not have been ready to take that double portion from Elijah in that moment. He was not developed enough. He was not prepared enough. He looked out and they were there, but he couldn't see them until Elisha prayed a prayer. Remember this, Elijah prayed no such prayer for Elisha. All he said was, if you see me when I go, meaning you better be at the maturity point to be able to see into the spirit realm as I'm going, you be you better be able to see what I see. Because if you're gonna over, if you're gonna take my ministry further and if you're gonna assume my role and be my successor, you this is the final moments, man. You better be ready right now to see what I see when I go. Because it's a spiritual thing. It wasn't a natural thing, it was a spiritual thing. Angels and chariots of fire were there to take Elijah up. And then he looks. And the Bible says, and he cried out, my father, my father, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let me read it to you. Bible says, 
And verse 11, as they went on still and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven and Elisha saw it and cried. He saw it. He saw it and cried. My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Saw him no more. So he saw without a prayer, without anything else, without any external force, his eyes were open in the spirit and he became the man who had a double portion of Elijah's ministry. And it was immediately recognizable because when he came back across the Jordan River, which he parted with Elijah's mantle, from afar off, the sons of the prophets looked at him and said, surely the spirit of Elijah rests upon Elisha. And he came back and just literally moments after he goes, he levels up to the next level because he had the ability to see in the supernatural. People who go from victory to victory to victory are people that can see by the spirit what others cannot see. Anybody can look into the natural and get afraid. Anybody can look at the natural and become anxious. Anybody can look at the natural and become depressed. Anybody can do that. Takes no skill to do that. Takes no spiritual fortitude to do that. But not everybody, not everybody can look into the supernatural. Hey, Jamie, not everybody can look into the supernatural and see what's happening in the spirit. Not everybody can. But see, vision, that's what I'm preaching to you tonight. You've got to be able to see the end from the beginning. It is well. It is well. I see the horses and the fire. I can see it. I see the stars in the heavens, even though it's the middle of the day and it's blue skies. But God said, look up into the heavens and count the stars. I can see it. I can see it, even though there's nothing to see. Oh, man. You see that? Put that in the comments. I can see it, even though there's nothing to see. Praise God. I can see it even though there's nothing to see. Because if others were looking with you, they'd say, I don't see anything. I don't see anything. I don't see anything. I can see it even though there's nothing to see. Put that in the comments and this, this will change you forever. I can see it even though there's nothing to see. What are you looking at? <laughs> what about what the angels said to the disciples in Bethany? Why do you stand here gazing into heaven? Jesus just went up till he couldn't be seen anymore. Why do you stand here gazing into heaven? This same Jesus is coming back again in like manner. I can see it even though there's nothing to see. Hallelujah. Even though there's nothing to see. Don't allow, hear me. Don't allow what's happening around the world. <laughs> Don't allow what's happening around the world to make you fall in line with everybody else on every bandwagon. So yeah, it's a rough, I don't know. I just don't know how we're going to make it. Don't talk like that. Don't talk like that. Your stimulus check is not your provider. Your stimulus check is not your hope. The government's not your hope. The Lord is your help and he is your hope. He's a provider. He's a creator. I can see it. I can see it even though there's nothing to see. Amen, Jocelyn. 
I can see it even though there's nothing to see. You're going to be fine. Everybody's going to be okay. Don't allow the devil to make you feel like life is over. We're going to have to sacrifice our future. That it's We're just not going to be okay for a long time. De- refuse to declare that and declare, I will be divinely taken care of because I have a father in heaven who is a provider and a creator. He's a provider and he's a creator. I can't tell you. God's worked miracles for us during this time. And it's nothing that I've done. Literally nothing that I've done. I mean that. It's been the Lord and only the Lord. I could not have done it. People out of the blue have just been a blessing to us. We've not asked for it. I mean to us personally, me and Carolyn, we've not asked for it. And people in the mail have sent things to us, have walked up and handed us things. And literally didn't ask for a thing. I'm talking about us personally, not this, not the ministry, us personally. God's the provider. God's the provider. And I want you to know he's going to provide for you, and you're going to go from victory unto victory unto victory unto victory. You're not going to be destroyed. You're not going to be taken out. The devil's not. I'm, actually, when I pray for you at the end of tonight, one of the things I'm going to pray is that God gives you the greatest night's sleep that you've ever had. That total peace comes upon your life. Total rest. Look at that. Adrian Shanda giving a testimony. Our finances have doubled. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We're coming out better than before. That's right, Susan. Right? Violent increase as of 2020. It's not going to stop. Do you think God, do you think God's plans are thwarted by the spirit of this world? Do you think God's plans are thwarted by an antichrist system that's trying to move forward? Please, please. God is greater than all that. And you're going to sleep like a baby. God's going to provide for you. He's going to take care of you. He's going to watch out for you. Your body will be taken care of. Your children will be taken care of. No evil thing will come near your dwelling place. And we're going to have a time of never-ending victory. Starting. Maybe it's never been your story. It's about to become your story in Jesus' name. Richard said, just got out of the hospital, no heart attack. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I'll tell you, testimonies have been coming in and will continue to come in. Why? Because we serve a supernatural God. He is supernatural. He's not natural. He's not a man. He's supernatural. Sits high above every bit of all this junk. He's far above, the Bible says far above. And Christ has been seated far above and you've been seated far above. So let me pray for you because there's people tonight. I know the enemy's tried to attack you. I know, I know he's tried to lie to you, but I'm telling you by the power of the Holy ghost that you are going to have victory after victory after victory. And I'm going to take this week and next week I'm going to build your faith and I'll keep going as long as the Lord tells me and build your faith every single night. And let God take you to a higher level in 2020. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Be full of faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's why I'm doing these broadcasts. To build your faith. Not because I got nothing to do. I've got tons to do. I'm behind the eight ball with some of the things I got to do. It's going to get done. But I'm going to build your faith at the same time. I love you. I love you. And I believe that God has a plan to bless you. And he will bless you. He will bless you. Hallelujah. Bow your head wherever you're watching. 
wherever you're watching this, bow your head and receive this prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for your precious people tonight. I pray for the people of God. Number one, I ask you to touch them. Touch them in their minds. I take authority over depression, anxiety. Take authority over panic attacks and suicidal thoughts in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, we lift up Andrew's wife that's right now in the hospital giving birth. Touch her body. We thank you for an easy birth. I thank you, Lord, that that baby will be healthy and strong. Thank you that she'll be healthy and strong in Jesus' name. I pray for your people. I take authority over sickness and disease that's tried to plague their bodies. I lose healing virtue to every man and woman watching me right now. Maybe you're listening later on the podcast. I pray for you in Jesus' name. I pray that God touches you tonight, gives you health and strength in your body. Sickness and disease have to run off of you and leave your home in Jesus' mighty name. We thank you for it, Lord. Now, Lord, I pray, because I know we've had so many prayer requests for those that are wondering what's going to take place financially, what's going to take place around the world. I pray that you'd show yourself mighty to your people in this time and give them a mighty financial harvest. Blow their minds with your goodness. Lord, all those that have been faithful to tithe and to give, they're obeying your covenant, and so we expect a quick return. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that financial blessing is coming to your faithful people in Jesus' name. We thank you for it. We give you praise. We give you glory. And we we thank you now that doors are opening up. I pray, Lord, that you would blow your breath from heaven. Let the wind of heaven blow through the nations of this world and blow men and women to Jesus. Like, Like you did in the Old Testament, Lord, when you blew quail in from every direction for the children of Israel as they were out in the wilderness after leaving Egypt. Blow your breath from heaven in the same way. And I pray that you'll take an evil situation, which is this time of this quarantine, this virus, and turn it for our good. For all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. So let many souls come into the kingdom during this time. I pray it in Jesus' name. Blow your breath from heaven and blow souls in from every direction in the mighty name of Jesus Christ and bring them in before it's too late. We thank you, Lord, for it. We give you honor and we give you glory and praise in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. If you receive that prayer tonight and you believe it, throw some emoji hands up in the comment section and give God thanks and praise. If you're watching at home, if you're, at a, if you're doing it at a house party, somebody shout amen where you are. If you're in a hospital watching this on headphones, shout amen and wake up the person next to you that's sharing the room with you in Jesus' name. And we believe it. It's done. We call it done in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for your miracle working power in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We call it done. And we thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. I feel it. I feel the joy of the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' mighty name. We love you, Lord. Listen, I want to challenge you to sow a seed. You know, one of the nice things about this broadcast is that you're never forced to do anything. I never try to manipulate people or force people to do anything. But we give you an opportunity because the Bible teaches it to sow seed. And we know, love you, Jerry. It's good to see you, buddy. We know that our blessing comes from obeying the word of God. And so we always encourage people to pray and let the Holy Spirit speak. Of course, if you've been watching the broadcast, people have already been sowing, even from the beginning of the broadcast, sowing their seeds. 
There's people that are already going on the website, Cash App, getting alerts, Venmo. People are sowing seeds. Why? They're believing God for increase because we know that the seed, the system of seed time and harvest always works. Why? It's God's system. He's the one that set it up. And so I want to encourage you to do what the Holy Spirit's telling you to do, whatever it is. Whatever it is. doesn't matter. You know, I've had people that have kind of written us and said, hey, uh, it's not as much as, as others are doing. Listen, it's your, your giving is not based on what others are giving. Your giving is based on what the Holy Spirit's telling you to do. And when the Holy Spirit speaks, you've got to obey his voice. Thank you, Jerry. Love you, buddy. Thank you for sowing a seed. But however the Lord speaks to you, some of you are partnering with us already. You see some of their names on the screen. Some people are partnering with us month to month to month, and we appreciate it. We pray for you. Some people are sowing one-time seeds. We, we thank you, and we pray for you too. And I want to encourage you, however you do it, if you go to miracleword.com, sow the seed on the website, PayPal, Cash App, even those that are like in the comments using hashtag donate. Praise God, Andrew. I appreciate that, that step of faith. I appreciate that, and I love you. See, that's what God looks for. He looks for people that are willing. That's exactly what I preached tonight. You know what's interesting? Thank you, Andrew. Andrew uh, just made a point of what I preached tonight. I can see it even though there's nothing to see. He's saying that, you know, whether they laid him off or whatever it was till the, the quarantine is over and coronavirus is done. But he said, I'm going to sow because I'm believing for a harvest. That's exactly what I'm talking about. We don't do what we do based on what we see in the natural. We do what we do based upon what the word of God says. Now, that's what God looks at. It's what he honors. Thank you, Charlotte. Love you too, Jerry. Love you. You know, it's interesting. I There was a, a testimony this morning, someone who sowed $100, and it was not even 24 hours, and somebody had put $1,000 in their hand personally. They said previously, I think this was last summer, that they had $500 it, uh, she had $500 in her purse and in the office, she, she gave $500 and then it was not even 24 hours and someone gave her $5,000. I mean, it's just, it's God. You can't outgive him. You cannot outgive him. It's supernatural. And so I want to say a big thank you. Thank you to people that are sowing. The Lord's dealing with people's hearts. I can see people keep sowing their seeds, cash app uh, as well, Venmo. I can see the alerts. Thank you. Thank you very much for, for obeying the voice of the Holy Spirit and the Lord's doing it. You know, what's interesting is you get to be a part of a ministry by sowing that's touching the world every day. We're literally feeding hundreds of children around the world every single day. We made up in our minds that we were going to be in the top givers to that organization in the world. And we called to make sure that we would be, and we are. We're in the top 20, we're in the top 1% of givers to that ministry that feeds hundreds around the world. And of course, if you see the video with everything that everybody's sowing to them, they're feeding over a quarter of a million, I believe, a day. Thank you, Sarah. Love you so much. Wow. Jeremiah said, I've continued to sow seed in this time of being laid off. God has totally blown my mind. I haven't missed a thing. And I've had more than enough. Praise Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And thank you, Andrew. Thank you for sewing. If you'd like to use Cash App, the information's on the screen. So, so same with PayPal. If you're on Twitter or if you're on Facebook, you can use hashtag donate to sew. 
MiracleWord.com, easiest way to do it. If you're listening on the podcast, you can literally scroll scroll up to the description and click the link. And uh, Juan, we love you too, man. Love you guys very much. And of course, we'll be back on again live uh, in the morning at 10.30 a.m. And we're back again tomorrow night, 9 p.m. You definitely don't want to miss it, man. This is going to be a phenomenal week. And your faith is going to be built, man. I'm telling you, get ready. Get ready. <laughs> Heavenly, you're making me laugh on YouTube. Carolyn's going to be on with us some this week in the morning, and um, I'm looking forward to that. I always love it. Her book is literally pages away from being done. Jocelyn, if you're still on, we got to get you a copy of Carolyn's brand new book that's coming out. Um, it's going to be so good. I'm so I'm so looking forward to it. It's a devotional of confessions and declarations of faith and uh you ladies are not going to want to miss it man we'll let you know when it's available for purchase but uh it's getting ready to go to the editing stage and then out to the printer and i'm so so excited to offer it to you we got some new things available the non-stop mom mugs are in and people have already bought the first one is purchased and completely sold out and so the second order's in brand new kids t-shirts coming Wow, look at that. I must have preached or taught really well. My Apple Watch just said, have you finished your workout? Hit end workout. I guess that was the end of that workout. Thank you, Apple, for that. Preaching is now a workout on the Apple Watch. <laughs> and so listen, I appreciate and love you guys. Can I say this? If you've not gotten a chance to do it, we have a free app. If you don't have it and you're watching or listening, we have a free app. We have a free app that's in the App Store for, for Apple, and it's in the Google Play Store for Android users. Just search Miracle Word. Inside the app, um, we have a 24-hour radio station that plays preaching and teaching all day long. It's, it costs nothing. I would encourage you to download it. Search Miracle Word and get, get a copy of it. A copy of it. it it'll be a blessing to you. Jerry said, uh, you've already read half of Further Faster. All I can say is, wow, I've received so much already. Thanks, man. That means a lot to me. I appreciate it. Listen, if you guys haven't got a copy, let me just say this. Further Faster is available. Finally. Thank you, Jesus. It's available on Amazon. You can get it on our website, shop.miracleword.com. This book is on impartation, how to accelerate your purpose through the force of impartation. It will bless you. I promise you that. I believe it's the most important uh revelation God's ever allowed me to release. And uh, I know it'll be a blessing to you guys as well. For everybody that's sewing this month, by the way, um, we're going to be sending you the book, The End by Dr. Mark Hitchcock. This is one of the greatest books ever on end times Bible prophecy. 500 plus pages. It's going to be amazing when you get it and read it. It'll answer so many questions that you may have about Bible prophecy. And um, Mary Sue the Kindle version and the Apple Books version is coming, I'm hoping, by the end of this week. Um, I just sent a message in today to see if the manuscripts were finished for the EPUB version, and uh, it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to that. A lot of people waiting for the digital. And then, love you, Angela. I'm getting ready, getting ready on the Audible version. Looking forward to that. It's going to be good. I love you guys so much. Thanks for hanging with me tonight. You know, Rod, I want that's that's my next thing is is translation. 
And I wanted to get the books done in uh, Spanish and Portuguese first before anything else. <clears throat> so we're working on that with, with some of our first books like Blood on the Door because I wanted to make that available in Portuguese and Spanish absolutely first because I felt like that would be a perfect one to take around the world. Love you, Jackie. Guys, have a great rest. It's going to be the best sleep you've had in a long time. I love you. Let's go out with some singing and uh, do a little dancing if you want to. Love you guys. Have a great night. I'll talk to you soon. When I see the blood, when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. Oh, when I see the blood. I will pass, I will pass.
Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.